Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor can be found on this podcast, the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and at his website, victorhanson.com. That's H-A-N-S-O-N. The name of the website is The Blade of Perseus. And you can join him for $5 a month or $50 a year subscription. Or you can just join for free and get onto our mailing list for the new things on the website. So please come join us. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This is our Friday News Roundup. And Victor, we've got lots on the agenda today. So we have Trump indictment um, yesterday in Georgia and Fannie Willis in the Fulton County DA has um, charged him with election interference and 18 others. And apparently there are 41 total counts. So we're going to start with this, but let's go to a break first and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back 
to the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, we have this indictment, and it looks like it's the fourth one of, um, along with three other cases. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts on this? This is getting to be big trouble for Trump. I know that. I was talking to a good friend the other day who's very knowledgeable, former politician, and he said to me, I don't think that there has ever been anybody in the United States who was simultaneously indicted. And I guess he's assuming that Latita James in New York will indict him on this bogus charge of overvaluing valuing real estate to get a loan, which he got and which he paid off with no problem. In history, in other words, you have Latita James freelancing in a political fashion in New York based on the idea of getting a anti-Trump left-wing grand jury and then a left-wing regular jury and then trying him and then nullifying the evidence and convicting him. And that will be the last tessera in this awful mosaic because you're going to have Bragg who did the same thing and got indictments and inflated a campaign violation, supposedly, that he didn't report the non-disclosure form, which he says involved not his family, but the campaign. That's it. And he indicted him on the same modus operandi of a left-wing grand jury, a left-wing jury to come. Then we have Jack Smith, who basically decided to criminalize objections to the conduct of an election and the legal redress. So in that case, and by extension, the state version with Fannie Willis, if you call up somebody and say, when they say he needs 11,000 something votes, well, of course, he wasn't going to say I need 100,000. He just said, there has to be this vote was not fair. And can you basically find if there's enough votes for me to win. The person said, I think it was fair. End of story. And so that is now a criminal offense. So if they're going to make that distinction, then what Al Gore did in Florida by questioning whether the registrar was correct and using lawfare to say she wasn't correct and that hanging chads uh, counted or did not count, etc., or the people who raised money in 2016 and brought that sorry array of B-list actors out to cut videos, begging the electors to be false electors, that is, traitorous electors, that they, in many states, it's a law that you must vote according to the popular vote, but it's assumed that you will in all states. But they were trying to influence people not to do that in a conspiratorial fact. That was apparently now, in retrospect, a felony. So that's where we're going with Jack Smith. And then we have Fannie Willis. And she is using RICO racketeering. She's indicting, I don't know how many are, 18 other people. She's got all these indictments. You put all four together, and they are designed to, A, give blanket coverage in the media so that what we are not talking right now is that Joe Biden, to use a left-wing phrase, has one wall of the Tony Bobolinsky, Devin Archer, direct knowledge of Hunter Biden's business, another wall 
of oligarchs all over the world that have said that they had special preferences and maybe even phone calls with Joe directly. Another wall of IRS whistleblowers who've said this, another wall of the direct evidence from Hunter Laptop, and they're all converging. As the left says, the walls are closing in, and we're not talking about that. We're just talking about Trump. That's one point what this is all about. And I, I say that in, not in a conspiratorial fashion because Fannie Wall Willis won't answer a question. Have you communicated with Jack Smith? They should ask all of them. If they they should ask in cross-examination or their and their suits to dismiss, they should ask Mr. Gregg, Mr. James, Ms. Willis, Mr. Smith, have you been in contact with anybody in the White House? And have you been in contact with anybody in the DNC? And have you been in contact with any of the other prosecutors? Because in a case in Georgia, never the prosecutor would never call up a federal attorney somewhere else or never call up a New York prosecutor. So w that would be interesting to see. But the second thing, then, in addition to this conspiracy and the media blackout, there's another element, and that is it's hard to determine they do want to take Donald Trump out. Do they understand the empathy that people have for someone who's a victim of such asymmetrical application of the law? And they know that. So they want him to get the nomination as these wheels of justice grind him down, let's say, by July of next year or August or September. So he's an inert candidate. Is that what they want? Do they want to destroy him prematurely and get Ron DeSantis because they think Ron DeSantis or someone like him is an easier? It's hard to know. Are they just so consumed with Trump hate they don't even think of these things? It's just I've got to destroy him and every essence of my efforts I have to destroy him. But put it all together and we are criminalizing free speech, free expression. We are weaponizing um, election. This is very ironic that these lawsuits in Georgia and the special prosecutor are ostensibly about election interference or denialism on the part of Trump. But what they actually are is election interference and election denialism in the sense that we have timed these. And I say that because it's been two years, right? Mm -hmm. If you really believed all this about Donald Trump interfering with an election or Georgia. Why didn't Fannie Willis do this six weeks after the election? She could do it immediately, right? She, she's doing this because Donald Trump did one. He made one big mistake in their eyes. He said he was going to run for re-election. The moment he said he was going to run for re-election, they all got together and said, let's get a one, two, three, four attack. And that's what we are. we're in. And what the funny thing about it is, they have no clue what the reaction will be, or they don't care, or they think they can handle it. But believe me, if a Republican president comes into office and he starts going after Democratic candidates for doing things like Mark Zuckerberg giving $419 million or Sam Bankman-Free giving $100 million, from crooked money or Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, they would go crazy. And this poses a really interesting question. 
you keep playing by the Marcus of Queensberry rules while you lose deterrence? Or do you go into monstrous form and say, you know what? I've got to go atomic because they don't fear me. They don't have any deterrent. We have no deterrence. They're going to keep doing it until they are on the receiving end of the same symmetrical treatment and see how they like it. And from what we know with Joe Biden, just the very inkling of some type of scrutiny, they, they go crazy. They cannot handle it. Yeah. And it's a, this leads in, and we'll talk about it in a second, but this leads into the cultural backlash or the populist backlash against this. And just mm-hmm. to preview what I want to say, you can go, and I did this yesterday. I was driving and I turned on a rap station on Cirrus. And then I went back and looked at rappers who had been to the White House. I cannot believe it, Sammy. It's nothing but misogyny, racism, anti-Semitism, violence. Kendrick Lamar, who's supposed to be the moderate rapper, went to the White House and he said, I hate Popo, the police, right during this whole tense period of police community. Really, I hate the police. So my point is, they assume on the left that you can put anything in a rap music that's violent, contrary to their quote-unquote liberal values, it's okay. But you get some poor country guy, Jason Aldean, that says, don't try that in a small town. Or Oliver, uh, what's his name? Oliver Anthony. Yeah, let me go back. Or you get, or you, you get, you know, Oliver Anthony, Richmond, north of Richmond, and then all of a sudden, He's a racist. He can't say this. This is horrible. How dare he? So that asymmetry is just an inkling of what's going to be coming. It's going to start. It's going to because this backlash is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that this race is turning into a slugfest between two men who are trying to avoid jail time and seek their own pardons? And in the meantime, it's destroying our democracy because it's making an abomination of justice. Uh that is the conventional diagnosis, but it's asymmetrical. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, there's a much greater likelihood that Hunter Biden set up a family syndicate in which Ashley ba- Biden, Haley Biden, Jim Biden, Joe Biden, Hunter himself had no skills, nothing, nothing. No foreign expertise as far as energy for Burisma. No intricate knowledge of U.S. Uh, energy law for the for the Chinese investors. Nothing other than one thing. Actually, two. One is Joe Biden is vice president, and when he leaves office in 2017, he may be a candidate for presidency. So you should invest on in him. And two, he's not like most people. He's to, he'll do anything. He will call you on the phone. He will put it on speaker. He will communicate. He will tip me off about whether I'm going to be indicted or not. So he's capable of anything, and therefore he's very valuable to you. Now, that's pretty clear. So on these other things, what do I think of just go down very quickly? So, Mr. Gregg, I think it's terrible that Donald Trump may likely have had a sexual encounter with Stormy Daniels. And I think that when he ran for president, he did exactly what Bill Clinton did. 
who had the same promiscuous background to a greater degree. He had a bimbo eruption team. And that's what they did with Bill Clinton. They, but they did, you know, if you believe some of these stories, they physically intimidated people, killed their cat or did stuff like that. But Donald Trump, in his legalistic fashion, got his lawyers to get all these non-disclosure forms. And she signed it. I guess she got some money. And now to believe two years, uh, 10 years after this, almost, do you really, eight, 10 years, do you really believe that that's a crime? Because he didn't report that and say, I was hiding my sexual encounter with a non-disclosure for my campaign. Or was it I was hiding my non-sexual uh, encounter because my wife was pregnant and if she finds out I'm in big trouble or both? If it's both or, or the, the latter, then it's not a campaign violation. Certainly not like Hillary Clinton giving over a million dollars to Christopher Steele under the table through three paywalls to destroy your political opponent. Yeah. So that's asymmetrical. And if you really believe it's a crime to, if you're a New York developer and you've got Trump Tower or some other high rise and you say, I'm going to go build something and this Trump Tower is worse so-and-so. I don't know today what my pitiful 41-acre almond orchard's worth. I don't know what my 150-year-old house is worth. I have no idea. I know what they're assessed at, and I know the market value is higher than that. But if I were going to take out a gargantuan loan, I think you could, in your imagination, get some real estate person and say, oh, Victor, that's worth this. And that's what people do. That's And so is it wrong? Unethical may or may not be, but that's what people do, especially in the New York real estate. So... Why two years later, 10 years later, 15, criminalize that? And the question is, people are listening. Does anybody really think that Latita James or Alvin Bragg would dare do that if Donald Trump had said on January 8th, you know what? I'm sick of politics. These people are crazy. I bow out. I'm not running. And if he had disappeared into the landscape and he wasn't, do you think that would happen? No, there'd be no indictment of him. So then we go to Fannie Willis. Do you think that calling up a Georgia attorney general and yelling and screaming about the irregularities or having, if you're Jack Smith or Fannie Willis, talking to people about getting alternate electors is any different than running multi-million dollar ads, not just asking for alternate electors, but telling the electors to renounce their constitutional duty and you know what? Vote for the opposite candidate of the one who won the popular vote in your in your state. And go back to 2004. They disrupted 2004. They disrupted the electoral counting in a lot of states like Wisconsin. So you couldn't even, they were trying to disrupt it because the left believed that John Kerry won the election. Barbara Boxer was the first time since the 1870s that the U.S. Senate had been delayed and the House had been delayed because people were protesting the electors that were chosen by the popular vote in Ohio. And then we get into Jill Stein. So put all that together. And I think that's a lot more credible. Uh, put all of that together, first of all, about Hunter Biden. I think that's a lot more credible than what I just mentioned about Donald Trump. So I don't think they're symmetrical. And right now, if Donald Trump did not 
run for office, these things would have disappeared. But if Joe Biden tomorrow says, I'm not running, they would still there would still be credible cases against Hunter Biden and himself. Mm-hmm. You can't leave. You can't file. I don't know anybody who files a tax return in 2016 and says he has four hundred thousand dollars of income. And the 2017 tax return says he's made eleven million dollars. And that's what he reported. And I can't you can just t- add the money up. You don't you just look at those mansions he lives in and the type of lifestyle Hunter was leaving and living. And you can't you can't account for it with the income that was reported. No, of course not. Yeah. So there's, they're different. They're different. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, Victor, that's what, maybe what you mean, do they have the same effect on the electoral college or the or, popular vote or the balloting or the political? Or on the, just on the people. Yeah. On the populace. Yeah. Does, um, I mean, because it's just, that's what it looks like from the outside is if you're not a person that's well-informed, you just see, wow, there's court cases, Donald Trump, there's all this stuff against Hunter and in connection with his father and it's criminal. And, and it looks like there's no choice here for the, the voter because there's a choice. there is a choice understood, but you know, for an average person out there, it, it must look pretty bleak and you must start wondering, well, is our justice system just crumbling that we have two candidates that, and I'm, I know that, we're saying Trump's charges are trumped up, but to an average person, it might look possible criminal and Joe Biden, a possible criminal. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think it's a larger question than that it is. Do you want a 78 year old candidate to run against an 82 year old candidate when <laughs> they've already faced off before? And there's a ton of controversy about the 2020 election. There'll be a lot more in the two. Just face it, whoever wins the 2024, the other person is going to feel their election was rigged. And yeah. if you think, well, the left doesn't do that, that's exactly what Hillary Clinton. I debated not too long ago, Chris Matthews in a venue, I won't mention where, and he said that um, Donald Trump's legacy will be inter- introducing election denialism into the popular political discourse. And I suggested that Hillary Clinton, said Hillary Clinton conceded. Uh, that's like saying, <laughs> yes, I conceded. And then the next few weeks, I completely withdrew it and said that Donald Trump was an Ill- illegitimate um, president. And I joined the La Resistance, La Resistance, La Resistance, excuse me. And therefore, you have to look at my original statement and not the one that nullified it. And so that's where you are. I mean, we're going to get in. So the left is going to deny it. And Donald Trump will say that he won the popular vote. So, yeah. And they're both very old and they've both been president. We've never we've never had an election since 1912 where a sitting president is challenged by another person who was president, an ex-president. We've never had a election where one challenger is now indicted. We've never had a situation where an ex-president has been indicted for political problems. Never had that. We've never had a 
special prosecutor looking at a family that whose head is in is the president of the United States and the de facto head of the Democratic Party and is under investigation. We never had that before. So, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of new stuff for people to absorb. And I don't know how well they do it, but if you th you're telling me they're in sort of what was the guy in True Romance put puts his hand Elliot Elliot and just gets on the floor. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. Or a fetal position. Somebody right. get me out of here! I think he's yeah. I think Ted Turner once said, you know, I was in such bad shape I couldn't take the pressure in my CNN suite, so I just got on the ground and went into a fetal position. Oh. Is if you think we're all in a collective fetal position, make it go away. Just make it go away. I can't take it anymore. Maybe, but we may soon be there. <laughs> but we're kind of one thing that I think is important when you have the FBI with its last four directors not being truthful under oath, and you have the same true of the ex-CIA head and the director of national intelligence. And you have Anthony Fauci lying under oath to Congress and you have Merrick Garland weaponizing the DOJ. Then and you have Pentagon retired generals deliberately violating the uniform code of military justice from calling libeling the commander in chief as a liar or a cheat or Mussolini, et cetera. Then you, you don't have any moral credibility to go overseas and lecture countries on the virtues of democracy and why they should emulate us. Yeah. All right. Well, Victor, let's take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about California. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. This is the Victor Davis Hansen Show. And Victor, we were wanting to talk a little bit about San Francisco and San Francisco's troubles. So I looked up the recent news stories and in their left-wing newspaper, the San Francisco Examiner, we have federal workers told to stay home indefinitely from the city of San Francisco because crime is running rampant and to maximize the use of telework um, because there's so many problems around the federal buildings in San Francisco, of drugs, mental illness, criminals. But let me just tell you a couple other stories and then you can go ahead and talk a little bit. The city of, uh, the city attorney of San Francisco, um, supports a cons 
safe consumption site for drugs. The non they voted in five years ago that non-citizens can vote in San Francisco is wondering why there aren't more non-citizens voting in San Francisco. And they're aghast at the rising amount of graffiti in San Francisco. So I was wondering some of your reflections on the declining city of San Francisco. They call it a doom loop. And that means that the remedy is as bad as the malady. So the malady is that 25% to 30% of the downtown is empty uh, as far as office space. People do not want to go there. The federal government just said that people should not come into San Francisco to work at federal government buildings because it's too dangerous. So businesses are leaving from Holder to Walmarts to Nordstrom, you name them, they're leaving. And they're leaving because they're suffering unsustainable uh, larceny, shoplifting, outright thievery losses. And they're leaving because they can't do anything about it. And they're leaving because the police won't come or can't come or there's not enough of them. And so the revenue is leaving. And it's not a question anymore of defunding the police. It's funding the police. You don't have any money. So how do you stop the doom loop? Do you raise taxes and then you further alienate businesses? Do you borrow the money to hire policemen to Gavin Newsom right that you bring in the National Guard? Imagine a guy running for president that was mayor just recently of the city. And now he says you have to bring in federal National Guardsmen to keep the order when he was the mayor. And he won't voice one word of criticisms about the policy that he or his successors embrace that caused this problem. It's not like this is El Paso, you know, or it's a place where, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm not making fun of those places, but as far as the weather and the scenery and the ocean, it's a beautiful city. So it's very hard to destroy it. And yet they did it in just three or four years, which is something. They did the same thing to Portland. They did the same thing to Seattle, Minneapolis, Los Angeles. They do it to anything they touch. They have the unmightest touch. And what do you mean by that, Victor? I mean... They raise taxes on the people who work and play by the rules. They insult them when they, they pay the taxes. They insult them. They glorify or romanticize violence. They have decriminalized the, the legal code. So if you steal under nine, $950, you can do that every day. And it's just going to be a bunch of misdemeanors and they're not going to do anything to you. They make fun of the people who play by the rules. What do you do? There's a jogger. I think yesterday in San Francisco, he's jogging in his jogging shorts. He sees somebody breaking into a car. He runs over to try to stop it. And then he's confronted when the guy pulls out a gun. You want to die for that? You're going to die for that. And the police goes back, you know, Kate Steinley, the same thing. An illegal alien shoots her, kills her. And he, they let him off, basically. He had seven prior felonies, I think, three or four illegal entries and detain, detainees, and they let him off. And if he had have shot a porpoise or a sea lion, he'd be in jail right now. That's how sick that city is. They have no respect for human life. And the only thing that's weird about San Francisco and Los Angeles, these places, they keep attacking and insulting the productive element of society. They make fun of meritocracy, so they get rid of it at low, low high school. 
They make fun of classical art, so they wash over murals. They rename names of heroic people who suffered terribly, like Nepio Serra, to build civilization. They mock that. They pass laws that are so restrictive that no one can follow them who wants to build a home or improve or remodel his house. They uh, they have a bill in the legislature. They're going to strip the right of individual elected school board members to remove obscene material because they quote, it's supposedly quote unquote inclusive. So what do you do with all that? And the answer is people are leaving in droves. San Francisco is smaller than Fresno. I mean, if you take greater Fresno, it's much bigger than San Francisco. I think San Francisco is about 800,000 people. Greater Fresno and Clovis area is probably about a million people. And so it's in a doom loop and no one has the guts to stop it. And then the people, I mean, they know what they're doing. They recall uh, Mr. Boudin. And London Breed, who was caught like Newsom without a mask as she hectored everybody to wear them, is saying now she wishes she could lower taxes. But they killed the golden goose and they've got it's a miserable place to live. So if any of you are listening and you want to go to downtown San Francisco. How do you get there? You take the Muni or the BART. And you want to know if is it dangerous? Well, they 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 will not release videos of people who go out and attack people because that might stereotype the criminal so that you could, I guess, profile them. Can't do that. If you're going into the bar and somebody jumps over the turnstile and crowds you, there's no crime for that. If you're on the mass transit and there's somebody screaming and yelling at you and threatening people, and if you put him in a headlock and he dies, you're going to go to jail, not him even if he has a record. So then you're going to say, I'm going to drive to San Francisco, Victor. Yeah, okay. So if you park anywhere near the downtown, you're, somebody's going to break into your car and steal everything, and the police are not going to come. Well, I'll roll down the windows. Uh, maybe they'll just rifle through it. Well, I'll open the glove compartment. I'll open the trunk, too. And I'll put a sign saying, nothing's here. Well, that might work for a while. And then what are you going to do when you park? You're going to go into your building. You're going to step over some homeless person that is a victim. And if they stand up and say, don't get near me, and they come at you drug-addled, what are you going to do? You're going to push them down, push them away, call the police? Or as you're going into your office, you're stepping and you're going into your nice, carpeted, beautiful office, and you smell something, you look at the bottom of your shoes, and there's human excrement or a piece of uh, drug paraphernalia, broken needle stuck to the side of your shoe. Is that what you want? Everybody says, no, I don't need that. Not with 13.3 income tax rate in California. So yeah. what's very funny about these people is they created all this. And they made a desert, as I said, and they called it civilization. And now they don't want to live in it. And they don't wonder what's wrong. And then they wonder why people don't like them. And so, as I said, when you have these bluegrass, uh, rich man north of uh, Richmond, or you've got Don't Try That in a Small Town, or you've got that Yellowstone series where they're always talking about how to be a man and tough. 
and sticking up for your family, or then you look at Bud, or now it's the Skittles. There's going to be a boycott of Skittles. And the thing about why why this, is that a, a boycott of Skittles? Sorry, Tanner. It looks at Bush, and unlike most sane people, it says that was Dylan Mulvaney was a great ad campaign. Look at us. We got to copy that. They only lost 20% of revenue. That's not too bad. Let's do it for Skittles. So that's what how they think. And they're in a complete bubble. I see it in Palo Alto. I, you know, and they're in a complete bubble. They think nothing wrong of Sam and Sam Bankman Freed living right on the Stanford campus, the son of two well-known leftist law professors who destroyed the cryptocurrency. Um, industry for a few months and gave $100 million to Democratic candidates through extortion, likely. And he's out there in his backyard, probably, or inside on his computer trying to leak things about his former associates so that they can damn that the media who favors him because he was a leftist will print unhappy, untoward, mean things about his potential witnesses against him. Jury tampering. Right on the stand. He's, he's engaged in a felony right on campus. Can you believe that? Yeah. That's did they so- put him in jail for that? I yes, they did. Yes. They did. They revoked his parole. Mm. That Judge Kaplan. Jack and I talked about that. But the point is, how can you commit so many felonies and not go to jail and then be released? to the custody of your parents, both of whom have been under investigation of getting these tainted funds to buy real estate or to hide what his son had. And they were involved in his business in some degree and then have him at home. And while he's at home and pleading, he has to have access to his computer for his defense. He's going through his old emails and seeing that some of the people who testified, especially Miss Ellison, had intimate personal letters to him or emails. And then he's leaking those to the New York Times so that they can publish anonymous sources suggesting that she is a spurned lover or she was just angry at him because he had other girlfriends and therefore created this false narrative about him. Yeah. Yeah. So... There's a backlash against all of this, and I don't know how it's going. And Trump is part of it. Not He's not it, but he's part of it. And the left just keeps pushing. But yeah. the final arbiter is always reality. And the reality is, would most people like to live in San Francisco, enjoy all the elements of that beautiful city and that vibrant culture? Or would they rather live in Bend or Oregon? Or would they rather live in Reno, Nevada or St. George, Utah? And the answer is the latter. They don't yeah. want to live there anymore. And these are not right-wing people all, always. Yeah. So they created their Frankensteinian monster that's devouring them. And yeah. it's, I don't know when wisdom comes, at what point wisdom comes with these people. History suggests that people are quite capable of destroying their culture and committing collective suicide before they understand what they're doing. Look at Detroit. People knew what was going on in Detroit as they destroyed that beautiful city, and yet they couldn't stop themselves. 
Well, could I ask a question, maybe a little bit of a digression, but given all the crime that's going on as we use San Francisco for the example, it seems to me that there are Costco has a model for how stores may be in the future. I noticed that in Fresno, they're building a new one for of all the things I thought, wow, a, a store is coming in new. But you have to um, have your card going in and you can't get through to get out without, you know, your whole um, cart being subject to check, not that they check everybody's cart, but uh, it seems to me that's a good model because it really deters criminals who seem to be liberated in the recent years. Yeah, they do that at Walmart. Where I live in Selma, they do that at Walmart. They do that at, at Costco. They don't really check too well what you're going out with, but they do have some deterrence against shoplifting. Yeah, I think they that have, that's going to be yeah, the model have, for the future. I was at Home Depot not long ago, and I was asking a clerk, if you, they have those uh, electric sensors at all the doors as you leave, right, that'll go off if you have a um, stolen item that has a barcode, I guess. So I was asking, well, how do they steal so many things? And she said, they just pick things off of things. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean by that, I guess? Yeah, they take their sensors if, off. Yeah. Uh, that or, you know, you buy a lawnmower and you just take all the parts off of it and take them, you know, I guess if you have a lawnmower like it, you think, hmm, I'm going to go to Home Beetle and get free parts. If I have a broken garage door, I'll just go get some sensors and take them off out of a kit, open the kit and take the sensors out. They won't have a barcode. So they have a lot of original, but the problem is the moral caliber, the moral failing of society, and nobody wants to address that. I don't know if it's a lack of religion or a belief in a divine hereafter, transcendent. That seems to be on the wane. Uh, I don't know whether it's the, the lack of deterrence so they don't fear any punishment anymore. But yeah. uh, we're coming to a point where it's this is not just a philosophical abstract discussion. This is about how you actually drive, get out of your car, go to work, eat, function, get on a plane that's safe or not. And the are not is now very likely, I think, it's starting to unravel, at least in these blue cities. Yeah. It's going to be very fascinating because in this next election, what are the people in the blue cities going to be saying? I love what Portland is. I love what San Francisco is. Or I'm going to vote for what we did to San Francisco, even though I moved to Tennessee. It's going to be interesting to see. Yes, it will. But I have a feeling that people live in parts of those cities where they think, oh, it's not happening in my part of the city. It's just happening. And the right-wing media is just making a big deal about it. And it's really limited numbers of people that are involved. And I think that that's how they must feel, whether they're- Partly. I mean, the other night on Laura Ingram, there was a guest saying that, you know, all these people in San Francisco, like Nancy Pelosi or Gavin Newsom or Dianne Feinstein, Kamala Harris, they created these- deserts in their own city and she was you know, asking the guest is not kind of ironic but i think it it's more than that they don't live there i mean nancy pelosi says she lives in san francisco her husband was attacked there but she has a palatial walled mansion in napa diane feinstein until recently had a 
30 or $40 million estate on the shores of Lake Tahoe. And Gavin Newsom is governor. He's got two or three homes outside of San Francisco. And then Barbara Boxer moved. I think she moved to Rancho Mirage. So Kamala Harris will not come back and live in San Francisco. So these elites, they have multiple homes. And maybe San Francisco is their official home where they say that their residence for political purposes is, but I don't think they're going to be active members of the community. Yeah. It's, well, it's Victor- really weird because, as I say, you look at old movie of San Francisco or read the San Francisco Chronicle online from 19, read an old Herb Kane or Charles McCabe column in San Francisco Chronicle. It was a vibrant, vibrant, busy, crowded city. Even when the tech people took over, it was a high-priced city. But... Uh, I will say that the left didn't understand that even before the crime spree and the homeless, they were destroying the city because you can't make a city on the basis of young, unattached, single people. And that's what San Francisco was for the most part. It was a hipster city. It was a gay city. It was people who were young professionals in Silicon Valley, techies. And maybe it wasn't their fault that they didn't buy homes, but you did not have a nuclear family buying a home with crowded schools and young people. They weren't having children. And it was a go out to eat, go to entertainment, do cultural activities, city, not, you know, two jobs, stay home, shingle the roof, rewire the bathroom, raise the kids city. Wasn't that yeah. way? Yeah, it sure wasn't. And well, this so it was a lot more vulnerable. They had no yeah. resiliency. Yeah. Well, this populist revolt you were talking about, I was wondering what your thoughts on Oliver Anthony's new song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Uh, uh, I, I read a Rolling Stone. They they hate him. The their left does because they say he's a racist, racist. And I guess people said, who are their wealthy men north of Richmond? And I think he means the government and corporations. And they said it's anti-Semitic. I don't know. You know, I, I, the thing about that song is that it's not just the lyrics. He's very successful in modulating his tone, slowing or, or speeding up the tempo of the song. I know it has a simple melody, but the way he does it, it's a very complex. It comes across as very interesting and complex because he has a way of conveying anger, sadness, confusion, bewilderment. And that all comes out by the modulation of his voice, the change in the speed of the song. It's very successful besides the lyrics. But it was funny, funny when you asked that, because I was at a big supermarket. <laughs> I think I said this to Jack or I alluded to it. And there was a person ahead of me who was quite obese. And his drink of choice was Mountain Dew. I didn't realize we still had Mountain Dew. We had about a case of it. And he had all, you know, it was a huge cart. And he must have weighed 350 pounds. And he is, he brought out four or five EBT cars. And he was going over them. And then on the way home, I was, I'd heard about this song. So I went to Apple Play, CarPlay, and I put it on. And he said, if you're five foot three and you weigh 300 pounds, you're on welfare, you shouldn't be getting fudge rounds. Why people were putting people under the ground. And everybody said that was racist, stereotype. But that's something that middle America sees all the time. 
they do. And they, they had to ask themselves, why do we do that? Why do we get, why don't we be much more selective like we used to and say you cannot use food stamps or anything other than staple? And even with that help, because people would just, it's fungible. They would just use their cash for the other stuff. So he had a point and he's, you talk about a certain statistics that everybody does not want to hear, but there's been a lot mentioning uh, suicide. I think there's an article in um, the Spectator Day, and it talks about people killing themselves. Who's killing themselves? The, the suicide rate is at a near record high. And who is it? Is it sophisticated single women that are killing themselves because of Roe versus Wade? No. Is it tormented gays that are killing themselves at record numbers? No. Is it the transgender community that's killing themselves, as we're told? No. Is it inner city black people who are killing themselves? No. Who, who's killing themselves? We know it's rural people rather than urban people, people in small towns that have been basically neglected by globalization. That is, their factories left, muscular labor was derided, national politicians call them dregs, chumps deplorables, clingers, irredeemables, those people. And are they women or men? 80% of them are men. And the are they military veterans? Yes, they have a very sky high rate versus non-veterans, but double. And these are the people who died at twice their numbers in the demographic at Iraq and Afghanistan. And what do they do, Victor? Are there all you professors like yourself? Are you killing yourself because you didn't get tenure? Or your article was rejected by classical philology? No, we're not killing ourselves. It's people that are in mining, gas, oil, and construction. And, you know, farming as well. It's a small number, but there's a few. So those people are killing themselves. So add all of those demographics, and it's the guy that we're talking about, Oliver Anthony and Jason Alday, and the people that are listening to that song are killing themselves. And we that's what this protest is about. And we've got it all wrong. Everything that the left tells us about protests and exploitation is pretty much wrong. Women are just being shorted. No, they're 55 to 60 percent of most colleges. And you look at majors and Ph.D. programs in the humanities and they're way overrepresented, way over. And you look at actual pay versus white middle class males, they make a lot more money. And we, we don't acknowledge that. And we don't acknowledge in the military. Oh, the military has been sending the non-white and the marginalized people to die in, in wealthy people, corporate wars. Yeah, but it's not those people who are dying at twice their numbers in the demographics. It's the person from rural Tennessee or upstate New York or rural southern Michigan. That's who died. But we don't even talk about that. So these... This protest movement is galvanizing around those people, and there's not a few of them. They're basically the 30 to 40 percent who will vote for Trump under no circumstances. Will they ever not vote for Trump? They'll vote for him under every circumstance. And they're angry. And they're angry because they feel that a guy who can, you know, wire a house or a guy who can sit there all day long, stand there all day long in an assembly plant and put things together 
or a person that can climb up on a roof and nail shingles or a person who's on his knees laying cement, that those are inherently noble and very valuable skills and they're not compensated in this highly regulated, highly new green deal, highly government controlled economy. But that somebody behind a computer, you know, an Atherton or I don't know, Palos Verdes or Manhattan, that person can make millions of dollars. And there's a lot of them. And I don't mean the very rich people. I'm talking about the techies or people like that that make 250, 300, 400,000, 500,000. So they're, they're just saying you can't make it. That's what the song Rich Men North of, um, Rich Men North of Richmond is about. Yes. And there's something yeah. to that. And, you know, it's not race either, necessarily. For most of my early 60s, I would ride bicycles outside of my farm for in 20 mile loops. There's a lot of illegal aliens, but there's a lot of poor Mexican people and some poor whites. And then I do the same thing in my four week sojourn at Hillsdale, southern Michigan. When I was a little bit younger, in my early 60s, I'd run, I'd ride all the way down to the Ohio border and just go in the countryside and look at people and go to stores and restaurants. And it, it, it's just forgotten America in both places, the rural San Joaquin Valley and rural Michigan, northern Ohio. And it's just a world away from these university towns or these big cities. And the people are just different. And there's no way you can you can make it in, under this system. You just can't go and get a job at a factory like you used to be able to and then buy a home. You can't do it. And so when Joe Biden said when he went to West Virginia and they have a, a particular contempt for them. Remember, Hillary blew up her campaign by saying she was going to put all the miners out of business. And then Bill, uh, Joe Biden went there and said, I don't believe a guy can go down on the mine and go down on the mine and, and mine coal can't be a coder. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He's worked his entire life physically, and you're going to put him in a little carol and teach him how to code with a 19-year-old techie. No, that's not going to work. No. And Joe should ask himself, would you rather have a censor on Facebook that spends his day with logarithms trying to see which type of story he's going to suppress or a guy who is working all day to provide fuel for electricity so people can see in their homes who's the more important member of society that's what people are angry about and i don't know it's the democratic party used to be able to tap that anger because it had a working class constituency but because it's got an elite agenda who's for an open border we know who was for it. It was for all the blue sanctuary city elites that are now horrified at a little illegal immigration because some smart right wing guy got the idea that if they're for illegal open borders and you can transmit the migrant of their dreams to their doorstep, they won't like it. But that's how they are. So that group of people that is for open borders they have the security or the money to avoid the crime that their policies have spawned they're the people who don't know and don't care what fentanyl does to people they feel it's their own fault i work out the gym and i jog three miles a day and if a guy takes fentanyl it's his own fault maybe 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 not 
but that's the point. And um, there's the Democratic Party is that constituency. It's that elite, urban, wealthy, upper middle class and very wealthy people that run the entire party. And nobody likes them anymore. Nobody likes them. And the big $64,000 question is, when will 20% of the African-American vote flip on them and say, you know what, they use me, they treat me, they call me junkie, they call me you ain't black, they, they pander, you're going to put you in chains. Al Sharpton is a wealthy, corrupt sellout. I'm done with them. Or 45% of the Latino vote and say, you know what, open borders doesn't do me any good. I'm here legally, I'm working, and all of a sudden they dump people in my community, and then we have to have bilingual education again, and they pick on my kid and call him a gringo, and I'm done with it. I want the law enforced. I'm a taxpayer. And if that happens, then the Democratic Party will lose power because they haven't created a new constituencies. If the Republicans are clever enough how to, to attract that new constituency. The only bright spot, as I see it, is that the old McCain, Romney, Bob Dole, Bush, Cheney party was no longer able to grow for a variety of reasons. And it didn't necessarily grow that much with Trump, but he represented a potential for it to grow because he didn't win the popular vote in 2016. But he was able to bring new people to the party, and that's expanded. And if you have good leaders, they can now make the Republican Party a working class party of upper middle, 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 lower middle, and even poor people. And let yeah. the bicoastal wealthy elite go. Just forget about them because they're never going to vote for you. And they have a vision of America that's frightening. And so that that's a good news, I think. Yeah, that is good news. Well, Victor, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the federal uh, appellate court um, that saw the case of Missouri versus Biden, which was about the government interference in social media. So stay with us and we'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Welcome back, Victor. Before we do that, I just wanted to um, say something about because our Hispanic community here that you're hoping might vote somewhere around 45 percent or more for a Republican. What I would say to that is 
once those EBT cards are not as lucrative for them, they may start thinking about it. But until that point, they're going to be, uh, as long as you keep giving me EBT cards, have all the cards, have all the environmentalist policies you want and any and everything else that could Close destroy the, the state. That's all you have to do because I can tell you right now, just close the border because to the degree Latinos become middle class, they do not like to pay California taxes at the rate they're going to pay to subsidize people who walk across the border and get free stuff. They're not going to do it. They're just not yeah. going to do it anymore. And well, I, I can so. tell you, I can tell you, I can see it every day. I can see people. I literally go into a food market or I go into the bank. I'm the only white guy there. Yeah. And I can tell you that the constituents that have just come from across the border, and there's a lot of them, when they go to the Mexican-American Latino clerks for to check out or to do banking, and they don't speak English, some of them don't speak well Spanish, they have a mix of tech dialect, or they have a lot of EBT cards, or they... You have a big line at the bank of people who are doing serious banking, and there's some person there that has a phony bank card, or they're overdrawn for checks, or they they have some banking irregularity, and they hold up everybody in the line, and they don't speak English. The clerks don't like it. They don't like it. They're tired of it, and they don't feel they're responsible for it, and I think that's new yeah that's new because they just give you like it's not my fault don't blame me that this person is buying a case of mountain dew and i'm now trying to go through the fifth ebt card to find one that's authentic or not used up or not bought from somebody else or as yeah. one person said it to me about a month how do people get five ebt cards six ebt cards i don't know how they <laughs> do it and i said well are they under the same name no they're not under the same name I said, is it you? Why don't you ask them? I, I, I can. There's a big line. So that there's no salt. It'd be like me being old white guy. And all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of Romanians or Hungarians were coming across the southern border and they were they wouldn't learn English and they had no money and they were breaking the law and they were supposed to romanticize them and say, oh, these are poor white people. You're white. You have solidarity with them. No, I don't. So I think people are coming to that conclusion. Yeah, I hope so. Well, Victor, let's turn to the federal appellate court case. Um, they reviewed the case of Missouri versus Biden, which was about the censorship on social media or the government encouraging censorship. And Judge Terry Doughty said that or wrote that the Biden administration, quote, had the most massive attack against free speech in U.S. history and that. They, and that's unquote, and that they should be blocked from, quote, encouraging, pressuring or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression or reduction of content containing protected free speech, unquote. And I was wondering if you had any reflections either on the case or just the issue in general. But I thought that was a great. Um, yeah, it, did. it is. When? I, I have a whole chapter in the Dying Citizen where I wrote about it. And one of the things I noticed with the ACLU which used to defend without qualification or exception free speech. And now it has training sessions on how to, you know, um, fight hate speech. 
In other words, speech that you don't agree with is hate speech. And so the left doesn't believe in free speech. It doesn't believe in the first, first amendment. We know that because of the, we saw that with the Hunter laptop where they tried to suppress the free expression and discussion and evidence that that thing was completely authentic. We saw it with Anthony Fauci and the NIH, the National Institute for Allergies, Infectious Disease, CDC, the way they, the extremes they went to, to demonize and destroy the careers of doctors who said things like, don't think masks are going to stop the epidemic. If you happen to get COVID, it will be as effective a prophylactic against future infection infection as a vaccination. In some cases, maybe it'll last longer. You can't say that. You can't say that ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine in particular cases in particular contexts has some value. Well, it's not necessarily a dangerous drug. Can't say that. So that was the government. And it's the administrative state and the left that that is against free speech. These are not liberal people of the 1960s. And they're not people who just like free speech. They're not the crazy people I went to school with at UC Santa Cruz that were saying, I got a right to say a few. And you know what? I've got a right to do my thing. So if I want to be out sunning myself in the Santa Cruz pool, I can take all my clothes off and swim naked in front of me. Screw you. Or I'm here in class. And I can interrupt the professor and say whatever I want. I can walk across the campus with a T-shirt that says F you. I can get in the free speech thing and start. That's not them. Those people were anarchists. They just and they did believe in their weird tribal freedom. These are neurotic, dangerous clerks, and they believe in a message, a green message, a racial message, an ideological message, and no other message is allowed. And they will do anything. If you're a federal judge and you go to a Stanford Law School, uh, lecture that you have been invited to and you get up, they will shout you down. And the and the person who invite you or responsible for inviting you will take over the podium and give a pre-selected speech denouncing you for daring to speak the truth. And when you walk out, the students who want to be future lawyers on the left will come up and say, I want to rape your daughter or I wish your daughters were raped. That's what they believe in. They don't believe in free speech. I can tell you they don't. I've seen yeah. them my entire life, but especially the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. They hate the First Amendment. They hate the First Amendment more than they hate the Second Amendment. They just don't believe it. They're not live and let live libertarians at all, believe me. And so the Biden, that's what the whole scary thing about these logarithms and Google and Apple and Facebook and the old Twitter were about. They were using electronic rapidity to fortify their ability to suppress speech. They knew deep down inside Sammy that there wasn't some little Russian lab in the Kremlin where they took pictures of Hunter's laptop and they replicated on a 3D printer. And then they thought up all these messages and then they photoshopped Hunter and put him next to a Ukrainian prostitute and then came up with names like Tony Bobolinsky and made fake emails back and forth. And then they think, well, why not we hop the word big guy? That sounds good. Oh, I like 10% better. Let's put that in there too. <laughs> That's what we were asked to believe. We were not only asked to believe it, but the, our government paid Twitter to suppress any information that didn't believe it.
That's who the left is. Yeah, and everybody very, believed that, didn't they? Yeah, that it's very different. Tale. I mean, yeah. one thing we don't say just to finish: we never think what was the effect of all this on the Chinese. That, excuse me, on the Russians. That we were for years calling everybody a Russian lover and lying about them. I'm not saying they didn't deserve it in some cases, but if you were a country and the, the other country said that you you know, paid off one of the candidates and one of the candidates was working for you and you created a fake laptop and it was all a lie. What would you think if Russia was doing that all the time? I mean, they do try to get in or interfere, but if they just publicized and said, oh, you know, da, 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 uh, the United States is backing Putin's uh, opponent. They probably do say that, but if they just did it all the time, they would, it would get, angry. I mean, it has some effect. And when you lie, 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 lie like that, it just has an effect on people. Yeah, and that's what sure the left does because they never apologize. I just wish that all these people at CNN or MSNBC said, you know, we blew it on the laptop. We're so sorry. But, you know, we, we, we really didn't mean the collusion. We found out that that was not true. And the pings at the bank also. And we kind of overdid it with the George Floyd when we walked out of the newsroom and said, hands up, don't shoot. We found out that never happened. We're apologizing. We kind of blew the Trayvon Martin case. We're sorry about the Duke lacrosse. We understand that most of that was a lie. We we ran with the Tawana Brawley. Sorry about that. And Juicy Smollett, I know we idolize him for three or four days. He was a complete faker. We now admit that. We're sorry. We understand that uh, the Rolling Stone fraternity story was a complete made up. You know what? We really ran with the Co Co Covington kids. We didn't mean to do that. That Native American person was not a saint and they were not sinners. But they don't do that. No. They never, they never do. They because just move as, on from one lie to the next. Yeah, because as you've been showing again and again in your podcast, they are part of the unthinking, unethical, godless Borg. And so why would they care if they lie? Just go on to the next day, the next lie. It's all right. They, they do. And they don't understand that people have collective memories and they remember it. And so they have contempt for them. They don't like them because they do that. And the number is growing. And so they're, they're, they don't have very good ratings and people yeah. are very angry about it. And uh, as I said, they're starting to flex their muscles with these country songs or these boycotts or these TV shows or these dropouts where they don't go to certain things. Yeah. And they just don't want to hear it anymore. And they're tired good. of them. They have nothing but contempt for them. And when they see Joe Biden at the beach out in front of a home that he got through ill-gotten, basically bribes, and somebody asks him, Got a comment about Hawaii? No comment. I'm on my beach. I don't care if their beaches and cinders. <laughs> this is a, and the left didn't say anything about it. They didn't criticize him at all. They used to get angry at George W. Bush when he went to Katrina and his his waiters weren't tall enough. Remember, he waited around there and they tried to do photo ops helping people. They got mad at him because he initially looked out the window and he didn't land as quickly as he should. They said that he, you know. Kanye West said that he hates black people and all that stuff. Nothing yeah. about nothing about East Palestine, nothing about Maui, nothing, nothing, nothing. He doesn't care, Joe, Joe Biden. He's at his beach and then he's going to leave. He's been on vacation for 
13 days, he went back to the White House. He's back out to Tahoe. He loves places like that. He's going to go to Tahoe. He's just a, a construct. He's not even a president. He's just a figurehead. He's not even a figurehead. He's just a paper cutout, cardboard cutout. Like you go to the supermarket, you see some full-sized local celebrity that's cut out of paper, hawking something. That's Joe Biden. It's the <laughs> Obamas. It's Bernie Sanders. It's the squad. They're running the country. They'd like him that way. They want him to run for re-election. Him. I don't, he's a facsimile. He's a surrogate. He's an avatar. He doesn't really exist yeah. as president. He can't do the job. He doesn't know where he is when he finishes. He can't finish a sentence. He slurs. It's the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. And they're just telling us that he's got a great presidency. He's dynamic. He's he's vital. No other president could be so busy and uh, resilient as Joe. It's not true. And no. it's just a lie. And I don't know how we're going to deal with it. But so far, we haven't had a national crisis. Because if we have a national crisis with, say, Russia over Ukraine or Iran over its bomb, I don't know who's running the country. I don't know who's going to negotiate for it. Anthony Blinken, the guy that cooked up the 50 uh, intelligence authorities swearing the laptop was Russian distant. He's going to negotiate for us or Jake Sullivan that was knee deep in the Hillary Clinton GPS fraud. So we're in bad shape right now, and I hope we can get to this election very quickly. But I just to finish today, because I know I've talked too long, but I'm not sure that Joe Biden's going to run. I don't think he's going to run. I don't think it's one. That's a bridge too far. I don't think he's going to. He's going to have trouble making the next 17 months. Mm -hmm. And they don't want Kamala Harris on that ticket for the next five and a half years. And the only way to get her off is not for him not to run. That's the only way. Yeah. Or unless they can, you know, they're talking about maybe giving her Diane Feinstein's seat or putting her on the Supreme Court. That won't work. Hmm. So well, I Victor, you're right. It'll be oh, Gavin Newsom or somebody yeah. like him. Yeah. Well, you're right. We're at the end of the show. So thank you very much for all of the analysis today. It was fascinating. Well, thank you. And thank everybody for listening. Yes, this is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. <laughs>